Okay, so tonight we talk about the crucifixion of Christ. And we were talking about his suffering last week and next week. Um, I don't know exactly. I think I have planned the resurrection or the burial of Christ. And then next Sunday morning, I have a similar subject as well. So they're going to come together at this time of the year as we're, uh, a lot of people are thinking about this. When we turn to our Bible, there's no special emphasis put on this is Passover week. Uh, we do know it's Passover week. Historically, that's when Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. And it's a good reminder to us that when we come to the Bible, that's why we assemble every first day of the week. And we want to certainly emphasize that and the significance of it. But tonight we look at the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, and we think about what he did as he was uh, nailed upon the cross and went, how he suffered there. And I think about this, I think about the great admiration that often surrounds the death of a hero. Uh, there might be somebody in your family, somebody who served even in the military, who has um, gone through something, who has suffered for our country or even died. And we think about that, and on a very basic level, we admire it and re we respect it. And as the world today looks at it, and we see these pictures, and you see crosses on buildings, and people wear them around their neck, and they wear them as jewelry, and we think about that cross we see the greatest hero. We see the Savior and the one that we stand in awe of, the one of whom uh, we so greatly uh, admire. And so it makes sense today. When we, we think about Jesus and we uh, see him in our eyes and depicted, maybe when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, we think a little bit further about him. I'm going to talk more about that depiction in a moment and thinking about Christ at the, in the Lord's Supper. Here is a passage. This is what stands out in my reading. So our reading from, uh, for tonight from Mark. And in Mark chapter 15 and verse 39, it says, And when the centurion, here's the centurion, probably had three or four other soldiers with him. That's usually the number of soldiers that were necessary for a crucifixion. He was standing there and he was facing Jesus. And he saw that in this way he breathed his last, seeing Jesus breathe his last on the cross. He said, Truly this was the Son of God. We also read that same, those same words in Matthew. It makes you think about it. It's more than an admiration here, but here you have a soldier, a man who has seen death, one who has probably seen other multiple crucifixions. Uh, for him to be a centurion, he's been serving in, for Rome at least 10 years or more. And to see Christ up there and to say, truly this man was the Son of God, because of the way that he died and the last breath that he gave. What effect would having seen Jesus crucified have upon you that others would see? And I hope that we think about this in the sense of when we think about Christ and we think about the cross, where, where does our mind go? We think about the blood that was shed there. We think about Jesus as, as the sacrifice. Is it a picture of admiration of the hero? Do we think about uh, maybe the Passover lamb? And there are probably many things, something I know coming to your mind that I'm not saying right now. But when we think about Christ, when we think about what he went through in his suffering, I remember as a child, that, as, uh, that was the thing that affected me. That's what... You know, I could feel it in my heart. Jesus loved me that much. 
is willing to die for me? I remember as, a, as being a young boy asking myself the same question, asking the question in the sense of, would I die for Christ? Would I die for somebody else? Now, of course, I, I can't die any death like Christ did, and his redemption is a sinless man. He died a death he did not need to die. Um, well, he did for us, but not for his sin, but for us. He died on our behalf to help save us. And I want you to think about that tonight. The effect the cross has upon you every day. What effect does uh, the crucifixion of Jesus have on you? And I think that many people in the world today, when they think about it, you hear people mock. And as we were studying and we were looking last week in the Gospel of Mark, you see those surrounding the cross mocking Jesus. Let him come down. Even today, you have people saying, why did he have to die? He didn't die for me. I've heard people say that. He's just a man. Yeah, he was a good guy, and he died on the cross. He was crucified. Oh, but he, he didn't die for me. That's what they would say. And so this is our problem tonight. I hope that the effect of the cross never loses its place in our heart and changing our lives every day. And we're going to look at a number of scriptures of where this is emphasized. Also, I want to bring out this. This is one of the passages that stands up in my mind. Should we be thinking about, should we have a picture of how Christ was crucified? So when Paul went and he preached on his first missionary journey, he went into Galatia. And soon after that, he's going to write a letter to the Galatians. And when he writes to them, he gets on to them because they have gone after the law to be justified with God rather than going after faith and living by faith in Christ. And it says here in Galatians 3 and verse 1, he makes the emphasis, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, you've heard this. Were the Galatians there? There probably were some. But among those churches, I don't, not really. There's no way for us to know that. There's no indication in the book of Galatians that anybody a part of the churches in Galatia, because Galatians is a region, and you've got at least four churches there that Paul set up as we read the book of Acts. And here he says that Jesus has been depicted before your eyes, portrayed his crucifixion, his death on the cross. And he goes to this point to say, you've forgotten and I think it's worthy for us tonight to look at the cross and say, have we forgotten? Am I trying to be justified simply by my mere obedience? Is that all my faith is, is that I believe in God and I think I need to obey Him? Or do I, do I realize what God has done? Do I understand His love and His forgiveness and how that is to come through me throughout the rest of, of our, our lives? Do I understand why He died, that He built a church, that He established the church, uh, do I understand those basic principles of the gospel? And here Paul goes back to the crucifixion of Christ and say, don't go after the law. You have seen, in the sense of being told about Jesus crucified, he has been portrayed before your eyes as being crucified. There's a sense in which we as Christians should be viewing and thinking about what Jesus went through. And when I take the Lord's Supper... You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he gives that picture. He tells what Jesus did and how he is through the Lord's Supper. But it, it also tells us there that we are to be thinking about the death 
of Christ and why he died. So I can't say, I mean, you can't say it is wrong here to have that picture and understanding and to be thinking about how Jesus died on the cross because Paul certainly, certainly did that with them. And again, that is what a part of what we would be thinking about with the Lord's Supper. I know our minds can go to different places with the Lord's Supper. We might think about Jesus' hands being bound and him being beaten and being put on trial. And we think about his scourging. And we think about the Roman soldiers beating him, putting the crown of thorns upon his head. All those things are a part of his suffering and his death that he went through. Bearing his cross six hours on the cross. Those are things that are good to be coming to mind as we think about what Jesus did for us. It's not going to come to our main passage. What can or what must Christians, there's so much more that can be drawn from this passage from Mark chapter 15, 21 to 32. What can we draw from this about Jesus' crucifixion? So if you have your Bible tonight, let's open up and let's look at Mark chapter 15 because this scripture will not be on the screen. And we're going to be starting in verse 21. Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. There's some details here. Some of them just jumps out to me as historical um, things, markers that, that show how early the Gospel of Mark was written. So scholars today think that Mark was written between as early as about A.D. 35, just a few years after Jesus' death, and as late as A.D. 65. And I don't really hear of anybody pushing it beyond that. So we have this writing 30 years after Jesus' death, at around the most, around 30 years. I think it's much earlier. I think there's indications of that, that it's at least written between about 10 to 20 years after Jesus has died. And the Gospel of Luke often mentions Matthew and Mark in Luke chapter 1, 1 through 3, uh, as those pre-written narratives. And Luke would have been before Acts, and Acts would have been before the death of Paul, and you can line up the date of these writings, especially Mark coming before, I think definitely before A.D. 60. All right, so let's get to our reading here. Um, chapter 15, 21 and following. And they kept, compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And I mean, we could stop right there and just make a, a many points on verse 21. I want you to notice the specificity of the names. And relation. Why would the author be saying what he is saying to who he is writing to in the first century? Look at verse 22. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Here we have a Jewish writer. Would he make up such a place? No. Definitely real. Verse 23. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them. Casting lots from them, they decided what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. 
And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. There's a lot in that brief section of scripture right there to draw out. These are the things that stand out to me. Mark wrote of very specific people. He gives details of them that we're going to see later on as we continue to read it. Is he simply going to make up this? Of course not. There's historicity behind it. You have a writing coming out of the first century. You've got something that has been passed down to him. I know he's being guided along by the Holy Spirit. But he knows, and he knows who he's talking to, Simon of Cyrene, as though all Christians and anybody reading this should be familiar with him. And if they're not familiar with him, they should be familiar with his two sons, Rufus and Alexander. You should know him, these these individuals, as though, yes, they're living right now. And these are indications, again, of the historicity of the book uh, and the text of the Gospels and of Mark. The place of Jesus' crucifixion, the place of the skull, Golgotha, again, um, is not made up. The location of it today, as it's been recorded in history, has a probability, strong probability behind it, that we know where the tomb of Jesus is today. The historicity is there, and so is the place called Golgotha. And again, that tomb is empty. Uh, Jesus refused to deaden his pain. The wine with the myrrh, the women would, uh, it was often women who would mix wine, um, and then the word wine here, oinos, could mean very limited alcohol, probably maybe none, I don't know. Um, But again, if you're trying to dull the pain, um, and you're mixing it with myrrh, um, um, an intoxicant and an opiate together, Jesus, again, he refuses this. He's going to feel every bit of it and what he's been enduring to the very end as he's going to be crucified on the cross on our behalf. As predicted, we see predictions confirmed here. The soldiers divided Jesus' garments. We also see from Psalm 22, his hands and his feet were pierced. That's what the the prophecies say. If you're not familiar with Psalm 22, if that's not on the list of one of the places in the Bible that you know very well, you need to go read it. You need to know Psalm 22. You need to know Isaiah 53. These great predictions of Jesus Christ that he would die. Uh, and then Isaiah says not, he will be buried with a rich man and he will rise again. All these things predicted. And then we have them confirmed. You know, these writings, Isaiah and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in the Greek Old Testament, that these, list, these writings ex- existed centuries before Jesus. And here we have historical verification with very early writing from the first century, soon after Jesus' death, from witnesses, Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke, and John. Again, Luke and Mark are using witnesses to write. And they're confirming these prophecies for us. It's an amazing thing to me to think about. How wonderful it is to have the Bible attested to us over and over. Okay, so Jesus was also numbered with transgressors. That was predicted in Isaiah 53 and verse 12, being crucified between two robbers. Again, details that cannot be made up. The chief priests and the scribes fulfilled the predictions of mockery against Jesus. And I wonder about this. Jesus says on the cross, as we're going to read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting the very beginning of Psalm 22. And Jesus is calling out to God, knowing that God's not far from him. He's making an expression, God hear me, is what he's saying there. And yet, in Psalm 22... These men who are supposed to know the Bible and know this passage are fulfilling it. 
You ever done something before, committed a sin, and then you think back and you go back and you find that scripture and you think, the Bible said that's what's going to happen if I did that. If I lived this way, what kind of sin would come about it? What would happen in my life? I wonder how many of them were convicted later. We do read about some priests and others, even a number of the Pharisees converting, coming to Christ after he rose from the dead in the book of Acts. So those are things that stand out to me. And, I, and, I, and if you're tonight writing down your own list, your own observations or things you're reading, you might be saying, why is he not mentioning this? There's so much here in the text. I just can't cover it all this evening. That being our main passage, we see the crucifixion of Jesus. And it should have an effect upon us. The greatest attested effect in history, in antiquity, according to historians today, is that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by Pontius Pilate. The most liberal scholars, the agnostics, the skeptics, the critics, the atheists, the historians, they say, if one thing, if we don't know this one fact, and I've heard John Dominique Crossan say this, you probably don't know who he is, but he's big name out there as far as liberal scholarship goes. He says, if this fact is not true, then we don't know anything in ancient history. But Jesus lived, Jesus of Nazareth, and he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. And Jesus' death and resurrection changed the world. It changed everything. Why? Why isn't it changing so many today? Those who claim to be believers sitting in church. It should have a great conviction upon us. We should be carrying it with us to the world around us. As we look at the Bible, we look and we see the Gospels are the uh, historical witnesses. They hold up. They are undeniable. The details we're reading tonight. We continue to read, and as we go throughout the Gospel of Mark, we look at the mockery. We can, you can feel the sinfulness and the wickedness just by reading the Bible and the Scriptures of how these men behaved, surrounding Jesus, scoffing and mocking Him. You know, the Bible warns us of that. It says that in the last days there's going to be scoffing. People are going to mock at us. They're going to say, oh, you believe that? You're so silly. Oh, you believe that? And they'll say, oh, that's just a myth. You read about that in 2 Peter chapter 3. And a lot of people don't realize that when they do that, the enemies of the cross are fulfilling Scripture. The Gospel writers help readers to focus on the injustice and sin. It also talks about the loyalty, the faithfulness, to be there to, to think about the centurion at the foot of the cross and what he saw there. So the gospel stand is reliable of Jesus' life, supporting the claims with sources and Scripture. I want to read a little bit further uh, this evening before we begin to wrap up. So back to Mark chapter 15. Again, draw out your own observations here. Look in verse 33 to 39. John is very brief, and here he gives a description of the death of Jesus. As he's portrayed to us by our own eyes, Picture it. Think about it. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, 
Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him down. Will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The point tonight, I don't understand how anybody can not read this and not feel the same way. Truly, this is the Son of God. A few observations here. After three hours on the cross, there's darkness that comes on the land. We have this also. There's a writing uh, by a man named Thallus in history. He's a pagan. In about A.D. 50, he was a benefactor to Herod. He writes about the darkness that happened at Jesus' death and tries to explain it away. It's an historical fact. That there was darkness in the death and crucifixion of Jesus. On Jesus' ninth and last hour, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me again? Quoting from Psalm 22. Verse 1, he cried out in his death with his last breath. As we read the other Gospels, you see it is finished. In the Gospel of John, the current in the temple, we see it torn from top to bottom. A lot of talk about what that means. The change of a covenant, the another way of which there's sacrifice and atonement through Jesus, we see that. And then tonight, hopefully we can say the same thing as the centurion says, truly this man was the Son of God. Why did Jesus come not come down from the cross. You know, they're saying, if he'd come down, we would believe in him. You think that would convince them? You see the hardness of their heart. You think that would convince them? Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going to rise on the third day. And we can see the power of this. Before we finish up tonight, I want us to look very briefly again at the suffering death of Christ and how it helps us. There are five things that stand out in the Scriptures. Because Jesus came in the flesh and He suffered and went through the things that He did, He's able to sympathize and help us. He says there that He was blood and flesh. Hebrews 2 and verse 14, to be able to relate with us, to be able to, to understand what we go through. It says there in 1 Peter 3 that Christ came to bring us to God. That's why He died on the cross. He died on the cross to justify and save His people from God's wrath. He died on the cross to present the faithful as holy and blameless and without reproach. It took him to be that appeasement and great sacrifice. And he died on the cross to demonstrate love, how to love others, to lay down our lives for one another. The great words of Jesus on the cross also demonstrate. Jesus has seven sayings on the cross, and we can see his character there. We see his forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So think about him on the cross. Think about the things that Christ said. Number two, Think about his compassion. In John, he says to his, his mother, Behold your son. And he says to John, Behold your mother. Jesus still thinking of others while he's on the cross. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, he shows mercy. Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus speaks of justification and how he is that great sacrifice that is predicted by quoting from Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross, he says, I thirst. He is human. Jesus didn't go up on the cross and suffer as um, superhuman man. But as a man like the rest of us, he suffered a death like ours. And that is that he was fully human. 
and fully God. But he suffered as a human. Number six, faith. He says, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus never lost focus. And then lastly, in obedience to fulfill all that was predicted, he said, it is finished. It's amazing when we see, when we see the love of God demonstrated before us. Could God demonstrate his love in some other way or some greater way? No. When we reflect upon the gospel, there's no greater message. Someone today might think, well, if I, I believe in God, couldn't God have done it some other way? And I hope that you'll go to the Bible and see that God demonstrates his righteousness and his love for every part of the gospel. That's why we share it with others. Tonight, we should have no reason to withhold that from those that we love and we care about. We want to share the truth. And lastly, think about it again. As we, we began the study, how would you react? If you were there in the first century, if you were in the position of the centurion and you saw Jesus suffering, Maybe you knew him as a humble teacher who, who claimed to be the Messiah and you saw what he went through. How would that affect your life? There's some, this is how it affected them. Luke 23 and verse 48. And all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle when they saw what he had taken place returned home beating their breasts. They saw Jesus through all of his suffering. Saw him crucified on the cross. They saw the darkness. And those who have been standing, standing around mocking him, it says here the people went home beating their breasts. It's a way of mourning. They knew that a tragedy had happened and they didn't really understand it. Not yet. The cross of Christ means so much to many people. Crucifixion should change your life. And I hope tonight as we think about it, we can say I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I love this scripture here. It's our invitation tonight. If you need to obey the gospel, you need to put on Christ in baptism. I hope you'll think about the love of Jesus. This passage stands out to me. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. The one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their, who for their sake died and was raised. That was the point. If you're a Christian and you think, when I believed and your, your life didn't change when you believed, that's not the way the Bible teaches our faith. It teaches that we're always changing, always looking after Him. So tonight, if you need to repent, you need to obey the gospel, we give you an invitation to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.